Hi, I'm Matt Williams. Welcome to Glimpses. Uh, my guest today is a remarkably talented actor, director, and producer. She is best known for her roles as attorney uh, Jessica Griffin on As the World Turns and as the medical examiner Melinda Warner on the uh, NBC police drama Law & Order Special Victims Unit. And most recently, she played Whitney Houston's mother, Sissy Houston, in the film I Want to Dance with Somebody. She has won a Tony Award and a Drama Desk Award as a producer for Spring Awakening. She won an Obie Award for Outstanding Performance in Familiar. She is so gifted, and I'm so lucky to call her my friend, the fabulous Tamara Tooney. Hello, Matt. Thank you for that. You're making me blush. <laughs> well, welcome to Glimpses. Thank you. Now, before we say anything else, we have to start with the Berg. The Berg, my hometown. The Berg, your hometown. Pittsburgh, PA. That's right. right. Because uh, I, I was laughing when I was getting ready for this podcast because I remember I was trying to set up a Zoom call with you on a project we're working on. And uh, you said, no, I can't do it then. The Steelers are playing. <laughs> That's right. And I went, man, this is a hardcore Steelers fan. <laughs> That's right. My blood runs black and gold, and I am forged by the fires of the Monongahela River in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about growing up there. Okay. Um, yeah. I grew up in a funeral home. Most people, well, a lot of people know that. because I didn't know that. Really? No. Well, I did. I grew up in a funeral home. My family uh, business, my dad was a... Uh, a young funeral director when he and my mother married, and they lived with a, a funeral director that he was had been apprenticing with for a while. And when he got his own uh, own business, set up his own business in Homestead, Pennsylvania, um, she moved my mother and the four of us there. And then I think my younger youngest sister was born. In Homestead. I think okay. the rest of us were born in McKeesport. And so, yeah, so my dad established his business in Homestead, one of the very few black funeral homes um, in the Pittsburgh area, and built his business from there. And, you know, we grew up above the funeral home. I like to call it... Um, Kind of like six feet under, but black. <laughs> wow. Less less neuroses and, uh -huh. and a little more fun. Um, but yes, and then when we were all in school, my father encouraged my mother to go to uh, PIMS, Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science, and get her certification to be a embalmer and funeral director, and she did. Okay. And so they ran the business together for many, many years. That is that is why my my grandfather and great grandfather had a burial vault company. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. So the concrete burial vaults that go over the. So I know when it I well. was five and six years old, my grandfather would take me with my lunchbox, and we would go and bury people, and that was my <laughs> my <grandfather. laughs> Okay, so see, we got we that. Do have, we have that in common. Dead people. <laughs> dead people. We see dead people. So you're growing up above a a funeral home. Mm -hmm. When did you? get the bug and go, I think I want to act, sing, dance, direct. Did that happen early? Did it happen later? Well, it happened early in that since I was, you know, three, I loved to sing and dance and 
I love to pe- for people to watch me do it. Okay. <laughs> So were you in front of the Ed Sullivan show doing... <laughs> Always. <laughs> right. And, you know, Saturday mornings watching Soul Train, doing our Soul Train dances. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, so since I was a kid, and then uh, I remember, you know, I think I was about five when I had my first tap class. Right. And I still remember the first eight bars of that routine to this day. It's crazy. Um, and uh, But uh, at the same time, I, I loved school, and I loved um, I loved learning. And I was very much a science and math kid, you know, I excelled. And I was a straight-A student. But at the same time, I loved doing creative things. And I was an athlete, too. I was captain of the basketball team, captain of the volleyball team in high school. I did plays with the school. I sang in the choir at church. I sang in my school choir. Um... I was a cheerleader. Uh, my mother was like, you know, you overachiever. You're doing too much. You're going to make yourself sick. And I would, and I'd be laid up. And she's like, ah, I told you, you know, and then I'd get healthy. And then I'd back at it. So um, I've been a multitasker all my life. So it's no surprise that in later years here in New York, I was doing multiple things at the same time, a soap opera, Law & Order, and a Broadway show simultaneously. So that's just how I came out. That's that's okay. how I came out, and I, I I think a lot of people don't realize that the connection between uh, the discipline of athletics, sports, and acting it's so similar. It all is similar, and that's why I'm a huge advocate for arts and schools. You know, I had a brilliant public school education where I was exposed to everything: music, art, dance, singing, and sports, and all of those things. You know, require a discipline that absolutely is applicable not just to the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also, you know, skill building for later in life. Right. You know, that kind of discipline. And also, I always say music is math. So, you know, it's going to, it's going to, so I'm a big advocate. And when they are always slashing budgets and the first thing to go are the arts or the athletics, you know, I, I cry from my soul, you know, no, and do whatever I can to help support where I can, you know. To agree with you 100%. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you the most important question of this podcast. Uh-oh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Is it pronounced Carnegie Mellon or Carnegie Mellon? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on where you're from. In Pittsburgh, it's Carnegie. <laughs> okay. So you graduated from Carnegie Mellon, <laughs> yes. and you're on the board of trustees now. So I you're, you're giving back to education because you know how vital it is. Right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I was really honored to join the board of trustees in 2020. Um uh, it, during the pandemic. So my first board meeting was via Zoom. And I think my first in-person uh, board meeting was earlier this g- this year. Okay. You know, so yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I love Carnegie Mellon University. Um, I think that it's one of, you know, well, I know that it's just one of the premier institutions, you know, in so many areas. Right. Uh, but particularly the drama school. Leads and um, so I'm a I'm a I'm an advocate and when I was asked to join the board of trustees I was really honored and of course I'm a trustee for the entire university but you know my heart is in the drama school absolutely and so um, I'm there to help in whatever way I can and you were educated there you graduated from Carnegie Mellon <laughs> you came to New York yes your first Broadway show yes. 
starred the uh, incomparable Lena Horne. Yes, you indeed. You want to talk about that? What I'd was the love show? to talk about that. It's uh, certainly one of my proudest moments. Um, yes, I came to, to New York and um, with my BFA in hand in musical theater, um, which was really exciting. And, and, and I kind of I kind of fell into the musical theater program because initially I, I just wanted to be an actor. You know, I wanted to be an actor. Um, I'm going to digress a little. Uh, because I was a science kid, I thought I would go into medicine and be a doctor. Um, but, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play, play one on, on TV. TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it was really my senior year of high school that I wanted to go to uh, go to drama school for acting. And uh, I, I looked at the... Um, the brochure and it described the audition for the acting program and and I found it really intimidating even though I had you know taken dance classes I had done plays um, you know I knew what a monologue was but it required some other things that I was just like I don't even know what that is but I turned the page and it had musical theater option and it had for the audition it was sing dance do a monologue I was like those three I can do I've been doing those since I was a kid and so I auditioned for CMU it was the only drama school I auditioned for and you know thankfully was accepted. Right. And that program was the most rigorous program possible. It was like having a double major because I had the exact same acting classes that the actors had that I would have had if I would just done drama. Right. But then I had music and dance. And so it was, uh, you know, from eight o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. And then you would work on your scenes at night. So we'd be in there till one, two o'clock in the morning and then up again. And then, you know, I was a work study kid. So I was slinging hash in the cafeteria at 530 in the morning. You know what I mean? And so, I mean, that level of having to commit and show up has shown up in my 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 work and my career ever since. Yeah. You know, ever since. So, I arrive in New York and actually you know, because of that degree in musical right. theater because of that triple threat, I had more options to um to work. I could sing somewhere, I could dance with a company, you know, and I could do an acting job. So, I I I as soon as I was in New York, I, I, um, I auditioned for West Side Story, but it was going to be a tour, and I didn't want to leave New York, so I passed that. And then I auditioned for the um, um, Christmas Spectacular at Radio City. Absolutely. Right? And so I got that. <laughs> but then I got a job doing Kiss Me Kate, which was the lead kind of character and everything. So I said no to that, and I took on Kiss Me Kate. At um, well, it was a dinner theater up in Connecticut. I can't. It's on. The, I remember the. I remember that Coach Light Dinner Coach Theater. Coach Light Dinner Theater up yes. in Connecticut. Yes, absolutely. So I go up there and we, you know, rehearse and we open the show. The next morning, I wake up with a sore throat. My tonsils have abscessed. I can't sing. I can't swallow. I can't do anything. So I'm in a hotel in Springfield, Massachusetts, and go to the doctor, and they give me some drugs, and they lance the thing, which was horrible. It was almost like the exorcist. Things came <laughs> flying out of my throat. It was horrible. Uh, but then I couldn't do the show, and so I stayed in the hotel for a good maybe four days, just taking Tylenol with codeine and, and antibiotics and just kind of out of it. And then my best friend from college who lives in Connecticut rescued me. So 
long story short, I, I come back to New York. I never waited tables. Um, not cut out for it. Not mm-hmm. cut out for it. <laughs> but I took typing in seventh grade. Okay. And I had typing skills. So my survival job was doing temp work in offices. Okay. And so I was working at a, 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 an accounting firm on Sixth Avenue. And there was a guy there, African-American guy, you know, who would stop by my desk and we would chat and blah, blah, blah. And he was a great guy. So one day he comes to me and he says, listen, my, my, my father is Lena Horne's manager. And they're replacing uh, two of the background singers for the show. You should tell your agent and set up an audition. So I was like, thank you. I will. So I did. I called my agent. I auditioned for the show. I got the part. And so my first Broadway show was with Lena Horne. And I did it for six months. The last six months it was on Broadway in New York. And that woman, watching her, watching her work every night because you saw the show. It's pretty much mm, two and a half hours of Lena. Mm-hmm. You know, we sang a little bit in the beginning. Yep. We sang at the finale, but it's all Lena. And she was there. She never missed a performance, no matter what, for a year and a half. So that was the bar that was set for me. And one of the great stories that I like to share is when my mother came to see the show. And, you know, my mother's gorgeous. And my mother was like... Gigi. Gigi, yes. And she was a young (laughs) Lena Horne in her day. And, you know. And so she comes to see the show. And we get the tickets. And I just, you know, I just arranged the tickets. I didn't see where they were. So I come out on stage. My mother is front row center. And I was like, who would put my mother front row center? You know what I mean? It makes me nervous, whatever. So at intermission, Lena always left her door open, and I was walking past her door to go up to my dressing room. And uh, as I walked past, she said, Toonie, Toonie. And I was like, "Um, oh, I'm back up. I'm like, yes, Lena. She's like, come in here. I'm like, okay. It's kind of like being called to the principal's office. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, yes, Lena. And so she's sitting at her vanity, and she's doing her makeup. And she says, Toonie. Is that your mother in the front row? And I'm like, oh, God, what has she done? And I'm looking at her in the mirror. I'm like, yes, Lena, that's that's my mom. And she says, well, she's just grinning at me, and I'm just grinning at her, and we're having a good time. <laughs> and I was like, woof, woof. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, so that was super special. And over the years after that, um, I saw Lena periodically. I saw her last performance at Carnegie Hall, and there were masses of people. And as she was making her way through the crowd, she saw me, and she just reached her hand through like four people toward me, and I just took her hand. And as she was graciously talking to this person and that person and that person, she held hands until she got to me. And then uh, when she got to me, she said, Toonie, I'm just so proud of you. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh. That's, yeah. That's- yeah. So obviously she was a huge influence. Who else? Who, when you were dancing above a funeral home <laughs> to Soul Train uh-huh. and, th- <laughs> right. and thinking about performing uh, in theaters, who did you emulate? Who did you want to be? Was there anyone in particular? Uh, did you ever say, I want to be her or I want to be Lena Horne or I want to be this actor or this actor? Yeah, I don't know that I ever wanted to be who I saw, but I knew that I wanted to do what they did. Do what they did. Okay. I knew I wanted to do what they did. Right. And I remember, I mean, my mother, she's just so many things, and she was when we were kids. And I, I believe the first movie that I saw in the movie theater was A Patch of Blue oh. with Sidney Poitier. Okay. And Shelley Winters and that amazing cast. 
And I couldn't have been more than five years old or something, you know. And I just remember watching that movie and just not fully understanding what was going Mm -hmm. on, but definitely having feelings about what I was seeing, you know. So that left a big impression on me. And then, you know, I would see, you know, Rita Moreno and West Side Story when I was a kid. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to do that. Or I would see um, uh, Diane Carroll, you know, as Julia you know, the first black woman to have her own television Absolutely. show and um, and 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 a professional woman, you know, a professional black woman who was living a middle class life with her son, raising her son on her own because her husband had passed away. And that was an ex- that had a profound effect on me. Right. A profound effect on me. So it was those 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 kinds of things, you know, and even, you know. Like I said, and it wasn't just women that I saw. It was Sidney Poitier. It was James Earl Jones and the Great White Hope. It was, you know, all those powerful, beautiful black people who were who were doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will digress just for a second. When I came to New York, I made it a living. I never waited tables because I always found a way not to. <laughs> I was afraid I'd spill soup on people. You know, people. or somebody would say something to me and then I'd cuss them out. So, no. <laughs> I was an extra on a movie that Sidney Poitier was directing. I mean, mm. literally, I was a blur in the background. And I watched him direct. It was a Gilda Radner uh, comedy. Uh-huh. And Sidney Poitier walked over to me, and I, I'm literally an extra. And he goes, sir, when you hear the gunshot, do you think you could go over there and duck behind that chair? And he treated me like I was this professional. Yeah. And I watched him with the crew. I watched him with the other people. And I went, if I'm ever in a position like this man, I'm going to, that's who I want to be like. Cause he was so gracious and, so, and he was just, he was wonderful. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And you know, that's what I, I try to share with younger performers who are coming into the business that, you know, first of all, we don't do this alone. Actors don't do this alone. Directors don't do this alone. This is a collaborative field. And, you know, the person who puts the prop in your hand or the person who does your makeup or the person who sets the light or the person, the gaffer who's pulling the cord or pushing the dolly, they are just as important as you are. Yep. You know, they are just as important as you are. And you have to treat people with respect. Which probably explains why you, when once you're on a show, you're on it for so long because you show up, you do the work. And I want to talk about that. I always want to say law and order SUV. <laughs> and, and it's not a car. It's special. <laughs> That's okay. It took me a good year or SUV. two to get it right myself. It's but okay. <laughs> you, seriously, you, you, you do these roles for years. How do you keep them fresh, especially when you're it's a procedural yeah. and a lot of it is, you know, the the medical talk and all of the how do you keep it fresh? Right. Well, the I mean, the fun part was when when I came on to the show, um, the 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 leadership of the show changed and the the executive producer showrunner was Dr. Neil Baer, you know, who is a doctor. And so he was the one who really incorporated all of the technical and the medical components. OK. And every episode it was it was something something different and 
I had to learn something new pretty much every episode. You know, there was a new situation and a new word. And I I had my Stedman's Medical Dictionary, you know, and I would go online and Google it and make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Or if I, you know, if I had a question, I could take it to Neil. Um, And also coming in as the coming in as the ME, you know, I was able to have a connection with the coroner's office here in New York if I had any questions. Okay. Um, So. So I was always learning something new, you know, and the great thing about the show also was, you know, it was really about um, the, the, the crime du jour and it didn't go too deeply into personal. So it didn't get, you know, soap, soap opera E or, you know, it was really about the thing, but just little tidbit, tidbits of characters, a little right. tidbit about, you know, Stabler and his wife and all. And as the... <laughs> And we were shooting uptown and there were some young black kids were around where we were shooting. And they said to and they said to uh, Chris Maloney, he's like, yeah, you the one with all them kids, you know, and, you know, or a little bit about, you know, Mariska's character, Benson's character, you know, being the product of rape. Her mother was alcoholic, you know, just little tidbits. And so with my character, they would slip in little tidbits as well. Little tidbit. I learned, you know, through the script that I was married. Another episode I learned (laughs) through the script that I had a child who goes to school. And then another episode I learned that, you know, I I got my medical um, education through the military. And I can, you know, I can handle a weapon if I need to, you know, and I saved somebody's life by shooting them in the leg, you know. So, um, so it was always interesting. It was always interesting. So it was kind of easy to keep it fresh. So you, you act on stage, you sing in cabarets, you act in feature films, you act in television. How do you adjust? How do you modulate your performance when you go from stage to TV to film? Yeah, absolutely. I had to learn uh, because I came from a theater program. Right. You know, and when you're performing for the theater, it's big, right? It's big. People need all the way up there in the balcony need to hear you, need to see you, need to feel what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, with the camera, the camera is very small. And so it's like, for the theater, the world is as big as the stage. For the for the camera, the world is as big as the frame, right? right? And so, fortunately, when I joined the cast of As the World Turns, it was a a a, a master's degree in camera work for me, mm. um, because I had had no camera work before that. Got it. And so I really had to learn on the job, and doing a soap, you know, is is a different kind of uh, camera work in itself, because generally it's two cameras shooting at the same time or three cameras shooting at the same time, you know, from live TV that you did. Um, and so I I had to watch and I hate watching myself. It makes me self-conscious. But I had to watch my performance to see if what I was doing was coming across, mm-hmm. was making sense. You know, was my response to something that someone said when the camera was on me or had I responded and then the camera cut to me and there was nothing happening, you know what I mean? So that was where I kind of learned the camera. And then, you know, as I started doing film, more film, primetime TV, you know, just really understanding the intimacy of the camera Mm -hmm. and how important the eyes are in camera work and how important, you know, the minimalism can be, how powerful that can be 
to let the viewer come inside your mind, your body, as opposed to when you're doing theater, kind of putting it out there for them. You know what I mean? So, I mean... The camera's really there to record your thoughts. I I absolutely and agree. And it, how do we see the thoughts? In the eyes. In the eyes. So, And film acting so much, it seems to me that film acting is so much as just thinking the right thoughts. Exactly. Right? Right. So true. Yeah. And, and it's amazing because if you are that specific, the audience knows what's going right. on. Right, right. Yeah. So you're preparing for a role like um, Sissy. Mm. You're portraying a real-life human being. Mm. Okay. Did you watch footage of her? Did you did you watch uh, or interview people who knew her? How did you prepare for Sissy? Yes. Well, um, first, let me just say how daunting a task I thought that was. Uh-huh. And, um, and how important I thought it was to to bring the sissy through me that i could that respected and honored but made her multidimensional as well and so um yes i looked at every video of her i could see i mean there was a wonderful documentary when she was even younger that i could watch um uh, the the Oprah interview after Whitney passed away, um, there there was a lot of video out there of Sissy, which was wonderful. But, but you didn't hear. I've seen some of that footage, not a lot. Mm-hmm. But you didn't imitate her. Mm-mm. You embodied her, mm. and it could have been very easy yeah. for you to just imitate her. Yeah, but you didn't. Well, no, I mean because I couldn't. There's right. only one Sissy Houston, you know, and 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 the fact that you know. Um, that they wanted me to sing in the movie. Right. And I wasn't lip syncing sissy, you know, was like, okay, okay. And, you know, Ricky Minor, who was so great, you know, and Ricky worked with Whitney over the years. Right. And he knew sissy, of course. And so, and he was a consultant on the film. And, you know, just even getting on a Zoom call with him, I was shaking, you know. And he was just like, girl, just sing, just sing. Just sing and tell the story, you know? And I was like, right, why am I forget, you know? Because I can't be Sissy Houston. So anyway, so yeah, so all the videos. And then I I realized that I actually had dear friends um, and colleagues who knew Sissy and Whitney well. And so I just happened to mention, yeah, I'm getting ready to go into this project. And, like, and uh, you know, and it's like, well, you know, I was, I was Whitney's drummer for the first five years of there her. I was like, what? Tell me everything, you know. And then another one, you know, he wrote a couple of her hit songs and is very good friends with um, her family, you know, who's a good friend of mine. And I was like, tell me everything, you know. So what I just wanted to do was take all of the information that I could get and put it through the prism and sieve of my body and come forth with the sissy that all of that information that Tamara is now sharing could embody, Mm -hmm. if you will. You know, and the truth of the matter is, sissy is not that different from Gigi. You know, your mom, my mom, not your mother. Exactly, Gigi. my mom. So it was just like, <laughs> okay. yes, you know, I know who this woman is. You know, she's strong but loving. Yeah. You know, she's fierce but sensitive. You know, I mean, I just, yeah. 
Okay, so we've talked about Sissy and and kind of channeling her and, and this amalgamation with your mom, Gigi. Um, <clears throat> when you get a script, it comes and they plop it down in front of you, mm. and you read through. What's the first thing you do? Do you just kind of instinctively connect with the character? Do you start processing? Do you find the emotional ground tone? How how? What's the first little ripple of creativity when you start to build a character? Oh, wow. When I start to build a character. Well, first, I, I, I always hope that I, there's some resonance. There's some... To, something to connect something with. Something to connect right. with, with, with the, the character. But I'm always just super curious about human behavior and why people do what they do. So I'm always right. looking in the script, you know, to kind of get a sense of, okay, okay, what's the what is the engine that drives this this character what is this person you know what do they what are they saying and in what they're saying what is it they really want um so so i'm always kind of hoping and and looking for that kind of connection and that kind of curiosity about the character right and then depending on who the character is um even if it's fictional or if it's a real life person then i i i just do some research on you know what that life is like you know even if it's fictional if it's a person who you know does x y and z let me investigate what that is to do x y and z mm -hmm. you know what i mean or let me investigate what it is to live in such and such a place you know, or let me investigate, you know, what it is to have that occupation or let me investigate. So it's a lot of investigation. It's a lot of research, you know, and I often tell young actors, um, you know, read as much as you can, you know, always stay curious, always be inquisitive. You know, I watch people. I'm a people watcher. I watch people on the subway. I watch people on the street. I watch people. And, you know, and I'm always kind of like just logging little things in the back of my brain, uh -huh. you know, that at some point I could possibly use and go, oh, wait, I remember that 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 person and the way they held their body or used their hands or whatever, you know, so... It is. All it's, of that. It's staying open. And I was talking to Alfred Urey in the last podcast, and he talks about listening. Mm. The way you observe as an actor, he talks about, I listen to everyone. I listen to what they're really saying and the words it's coming out of, you know. So it is just staying uh, alert, aware. And you're a perfect example of a bad actor always acts the how. <laughs> This is how I'm going to say the line. A good actor always goes, why? Why am I saying why it? I, why? why? Why am I getting a glass yes. of water at this moment? Right. Okay, so you've had this tremendous career. What role haven't you played that you would like to play? Oh, geez. Is there one like Lady Macbeth or Jocasta? Or is there some classic role? Or is there a role that you've got somewhere in the back of your head say, I, I would pay somebody $2 if I could go play that? Yes. <laughs> okay, you got one. Yes. Um, and that would be Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Ooh. I want to be Mrs. Lovett. I do. I want to tackle that. I want to tackle that. I want to tackle the 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 accent. Uh-huh. I want to tackle the the quirkiness of that person. I want to tackle the 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 dark side and the fun side. And most importantly, I want to tackle how much love she has inside of her for for this man uh-huh you know 
for this man. I mean, I, she's so complicated. And people, you know, you see and it's like, oh, she's just wacky, crazy right. woman who, you know, helps murder people and make pies. And it's just <laughs> like, no, actually, there's a real human being there, which is why by the end of that play, if it's done properly, you could be weeping. When she goes. When she. Yeah. Yep. 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 <clears throat> okay, so uh, I look at you and see what you've done in your life and your career. You are truly a working artist. You serve your art. You live your art. You are passionate and you are disciplined. At this point in your career, you could kick back and kind of rest on your laurels, but you don't. You're still driven. Hmm. What drives you? First of all, what laurels? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. Oh, uh, wait, let me go back. I, okay, uh, no, no. <laughs> Tony Award, Drama Desk Award, OB, oh, just a cup. Okay. I, I appreciate all of that. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm constantly looking for the what's next. Okay. You know, and I'm constantly looking to grow and evolve. And I don't think we stop doing that as long as we are breathing. And so... And, and this particular art form allows us to continue to learn and evolve and grow and, and, and connect, you know, with other people, um, both collaboratively as well as whoever might be watching or viewing the play or the movie or whatever. Right. I mean, and I don't think that, I don't think that ends. I, I, I I just love it too much. Yeah. You know? Um, I understand that. Because yeah. I, I think the thing about continuing to learn, you you never stop learning. Yeah. You know, if you've been writing 30 years, you kind of go, oh, I'm starting to get the hang of it. I'm beginning <laughs> to understand how this works. Isn't... Or even acting or directing. Whatever. Absolutely. And it gets richer and deeper. And also, you're finding out, not only about yourself, mm. what you truly believe, what lives inside you, you're learning about other people. And I always say stories connect us. Absolutely. We tell stories to know that regardless if you grew up above a funeral home in Pittsburgh or on a farm in Indiana, mm -hmm. there is a connection here. And Absolutely. we connect through our stories. That's right. That's right. And our stories are our humanity. Yes. You yes. Know? Yes. And, and that's why they're universal. You know, that's why I can read a book written by, you know, I can read The Joy Luck Club by yep. Amy Tan and be so connected and so engrossed with right. it because it's about the human experience always. Well, this podcast is named Glimpses and it's the book Glimpses. And, um, in and that, congratulations again <laughs> thank on you. your book. Thank you. And the whole point of the book is to encourage kindness and look for little glimpses of God mm. in your daily life. Mm. And by God, I always qualify that's moments of grace, kindness, Amen. unexpected you know, compassion. So as you go about your day banging around New York, performing on stages or in front of a camera, do you see little glimpses of God? Oh, I do. I do all the time. Um, you know, if I didn't, I don't know if I'd be able to leave my apartment you know, with the world and the state that it's in and with the news, uh, that's never good. Right. Uh, so I'm so glad you're doing this. Yeah. I'm so glad you wrote glimpses. But yes, I mean, I, I see it. I see it all the time. I see it in uh, a, a, a baby in a stroller. I see it in, in 
a, a homeless, unhoused is the word we're using now, individual right. who's struggling. You know, I see because I'm I always I'm like that was someone's baby. That was someone's baby. Yes. You know what I mean? So we can't just act like they they don't that person doesn't exist. That was someone's child, you know? Um Again, and I, that goes back to the storytelling and you as an artist finding the humanity in other people. Absolutely. And whether you're playing a character or not, it's looking for and finding that humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other night I'm in a taxi, you know, and we hit a red light uptown and there's a, a guy, you know, pandering, and the taxi driver rolls down the window and gives him a buck, you know? And I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Right. That's so kind. Right. You know? So yes, kindness is everywhere. Kindness yeah. is everywhere. We just have to recognize it and embrace it and acknowledge it and pay it forward. I think that may be the perfect way to wrap this up. <laughs> I think you just did it. <laughs> Tamara, Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. I'm a huge fan. I I count it a blessing that you're a friend. Well, you know I'm a fan of yours. Okay. Well, that's it for this uh, podcast. And thank you for listening. I encourage you all as you go about your day, uh, take the time to look around and catch a glimpse. Thank you so much for being a part of the Glimpses YouTube family. I hope you like, subscribe, and enjoy all of the clips and episodes coming your way. As you go about your day, I encourage you all to take a moment, look around, and catch a glimpse. <laughs>